You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Na, 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 na. Hi, y'all. It's Amir Yasai with The Take On for the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm here with D'Lo, my good friend, such an amazing activist in the community, such a really a person that a lot of people look up to in the community, specifically trans people as well, just to see that, you know, South Asian representation. It's so important. Thank you for being here with us, D'Lo. Thank you for having me, Amir. Of course. And what are your pronouns? I think it's important that we ask those questions these days. I go by he or they. Perfect. I love that. Um, I think that a lot of, I get a lot of messages from, you know, straight cisgender people who are like, why, what's the deal with the pronouns? And what's the big, you know, hoopla about it? And I think it, what it does is what I've realized is it makes people feel safe and secure when you're having a conversation. So I think it's important we take the time to um, make those distinctions. Um, Absolutely. Right. And I think that what I love about you is that much like me, uh, neither of us ask for permission. We do kind of what we want and we take up space. And, you know, for both of our communities, you know, South Asian community, the Persian community, that's not a very normal way of operating. Uh, so I want you to paint us a picture of kind of how you got to the DLO we see today, right? Someone who mm. is comfortable in their own skin. That's not an easy journey. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, you know, I, I'm a child of immigrants mm-hmm. and an immigrant family that was like, you know, we don't make waves in this family. Like we're just trying to get by. We're just yep. trying to like make make our careers happen and then that's it. Mm-hmm. And so um, growing up, I knew that I was super queer and right. I I was politicized as, as at a young age because, you know, we came, my family came to the States pre-war uh, by way of my father being um, part of America's brain drain. And, and my father was a, is a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so we had that privilege going for us. And then, but then around 83 and actually a little bit before that, we, my family was, um, you know, worried about our family in Sri Lanka because there was, you know, there was a lot of bullshit happening. So, mm-hmm. um, so as the war in Sri Lanka started, um, you know, getting worse, I was hearing about all these stories. Plus, in addition to that, I was hearing about my father talking about neo-Nazis or the KKK. Uh, I grew up in Lancaster, California, and 
historically, one of the Snapple fun facts is that it was where the KKK established its first West Coast church back in the day. Oh, so, wow. um, so, you know, we kind of just felt the effects of being in a predominantly hick white town, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so by the time that I was probably like 11 years old, I was introduced to hip hop and because it was, you know, my understanding of, of like, first of all, the art in general, hip hop to me was like so powerful for me mm-hmm. because people were talking about the issues that mattered to them. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to be that. And I especially loved like Public Enemy, Queen Latifah, like a bunch, but I also loved like yeah. a lot of other hip hop artists. And, but I think it was Queen who really made me feel less alone in this world because watching her, I was like, she's an immigrant. I'm an immigrant. Like, I didn't get it. Like, I didn't know that she was not an immigrant and that black MCs were going back to their roots. I just, I just was like, this is who I'm attracted to. Um, not sexually, but right. this is who I, who I'm like, yo, I could be this person. Even if I can't get my wishes to be a boy, I could be this person, you know? So mm-hmm. that, that I feel was kind of like the, the marker for my politicization and therefore the marker for my desire to create art in the world that mattered. And, um, and that could change uh, how people were kind of mindlessly not um, looking out for one another, you know, like I wanted to change how we treated people, you know. So, um, so then I started writing poems and rhyme right after that. And they, I, I was like a really bad writer at this stage. In my life. <laughs> and, but then, you know, I, I was writing throughout high school. And so by the time I got to college, me and this one other kid started this, the UCLA poetry read back up again. And um, while we we did that, I was introduced to other artists. And then I eventually found um, some mentors who were associated with the Communist Party, the Revolutionary Communist Party. And so I was doing arts and organizing, political organizing, through this network of artists called the, actually the Artist Network. And um, some of our first campaigns were around police brutality. So that's kind of, and and because the work was all being done in LA, I got to meet other artists. I was part of salons where we got to talk to each other about art making and art processes and politics. And so that kind of was like the foundation for my work. And while I wasn't like really out about my queerness, like I, I was out, I was definitely out, but like I wasn't talking about it in my artwork. I think that things got so bad between my family and I once I came out that I couldn't help but find solace in writing writing work that was related to my journey as a queer person. So, um, and by that time I had moved to New York and I was doing theater and and uh, and I had some really great teachers there as well that um, that I started making a career out of me telling my story, not just bitten poems that were that were about larger issues like war and police brutality and AIDS and you get what I'm saying like it was it was almost like I could talk about my life and where the where I was in my queer journey and also my passions as a political artist absolutely and I think even saying that political artist I think it's something that in some ways 
was really invented a long time ago. And I think now with the BLM movement and pride being kind of front and center, a lot of people are using that verbiage. But I think that's been around for a very long time. And I, I love that, you know, I, I want to know where from political artists and activists did, did that kind of develop into this one man show, which is where I met you. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember sitting front row. I was like a kid in a candy store watching you perform. I mean, it yeah. was so wonderful. Thank Talk to you. Thank that. you. Yeah. Um, so my work has always been about like, if I share my journey and if I'm very specific and detailed in, in how I craft a story as mm-hmm. I've been doing solo work, for almost 20 years now right so the but my but my aim is to be able to sort of unpack the ways that our you know like we're not okay as human beings unless we are really trying to connect with community and be there for one another right and there's so much loneliness when it comes to queerness queer queerness Mm -hmm. because those places of community that are supposed to hold us AKA our blood family are so toxic and dysfunctional that our understanding of family then becomes who we have in our circles of chosen family. Right. So, so I want all my shows to sort of share the journey of a queer person through navigating adulthood, uh, what it means to be having healthy and beautiful masculinity as a transmasculine person, um, what it means to be an ally, what it means to um, be uh, be somebody who sees themselves as part of a continuum of of a of a movement, you know, not just like a queer person who's saying like I get to fuck whoever the fuck I want to fuck and like that's the politic. Like yes, that is also political, right? But sure. there's also a way to show up in the world as a queer person and kind of check our privileges at any at any given moment and work with those privileges to fight for other people who don't have those privileges and also understand where we would rather be or the spaces in our own life that we do want to experience more freedom and fight for that liberation as well. Absolutely. And I think it's, and it's really having agency over what is what you're doing with your life. And I always tell people that are queer, like you get to design your life. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that's kind of what you've done, um, especially with the show. And again, we don't get a lot of trans masculine visibility. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, uh, Lone Star 911 has done a great job with a, you know, black trans masculine yeah, man. That's Brian Michael Smith. Yeah. Yes, Brian Michael Smith. Uh, wonderful. I met him once and we had a really great conversation. And it's it's such great visibility. Absolutely. Um, and that's something that we need. I want to talk to you a little bit about, I know that when you did your one man show, it kept kind of, you know, selling out. And then, you know, Lily Tomlin was in the audience. How mm-hmm. did that feel as, again, like a Sri Lankan you know, queer child, like, is that where you imagined your life? Cause that must be like a real pinch me moment. Yeah, it was, um, it was surreal to have Lily Tomlin in the audience and to meet her and to know that like, she loved my work. Um, I think that for me, like I didn't grow up knowing much about Lily Tomlin. Like I didn't connect the dots that she was this, by the time that I was understanding who she was in the queer community, I then had to like sort of toggle my memory and go, Oh, okay. She was in nine to five and she was in this, you know, but like (laughs) I did, but I didn't, I didn't actually like, 
know know her work in a way that I could say that she inspired me directly. But I do know that it's her work out there that has allowed for this kind of art form to even be um, considered like that this kind of art form to be taken seriously, you know? So when it comes to solo theater work, um, yes, I, I, I am blessed to have a really good run. I think that I've been showing at the center for a long time now. And so people are familiar with the work that I am attached to. And so because of that, my audiences has, have grown through the LA, um, through LA crowds. Now, Mm -hmm. um, the, I, I like who who would have who you were really trying to get to come and I'm not saying that that Lily Tomlin was a loss at any like that was a complete win I didn't even know you know what I'm saying but like right. I I would have loved to be able to perform in front of people who I had idolized and who I gained so much inspiration from whether that was um the work of like John Leguizamo or oh, wow. um, Whoopi Goldberg or um, or or Queen Latifah even my God like mm-hmm. like you know th- there's there's people who there's I think that because I am a person of color it was so important for me to see other people of color because I knew that I wasn't going to see other South Asians that my mm-hmm. the closest in proximity to me were going to be other people of color other Black Indigenous and other people of color. So, so that is sort of who I, um, who, who I looked up to as a young artist and who I was gaining a lot of inspiration from. Absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense, especially when it comes to that journey of like finding yourself among that. Where did you, again, like obviously you had those role models, but who in your family was really understanding? Who did you lean on as you were kind of coming out and then furthermore wanting to transition? Who was like kind of someone you leaned on? Yeah. Um, I would say that I probably had a tough time with both of my parents and I don't have any siblings. Um, one of my siblings was, uh, was in a plane crash that took her life. So it was, mm. it was just in my immediate family, my parents and I, we couldn't really see eye to eye on any of it, but right. who was gunning for my happiness the whole time was more my father, um, mm. which is, which is very odd, but, but that is the truth. And then, well, I guess it's not that odd. Um, sometimes it feels like mothers are more um, understanding in certain right. regards. But I guess when it comes to queerness, you never really know. But You never know. My mom had a huge, very tough time. And my dad, um, who's very conservative, kind of took it in stride. Again, for them, there's a, it, it's a mixed bag of it's a choice and do you need to do this mm-hmm. and et cetera. So it can be tough. Yeah. Exactly. I, I went through the very same thing, like, uh, like the Hindu version of conversion therapy. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've, yeah, like, like shit was wild, but, but, you know, I feel like I had, in my corner, like my cousins who were very understanding and who would bat for me. Um, but yeah, like, I think that when it came to finally to your other part of the question about trend transition, I think we're Mm -hmm. all in transitions. You get what I'm saying? It's just that for some people it looks medical, but, but I think that for me, 
that was part of the the thing that was going to either make or break my relationship with my parents because um, already there was so much um, like like butting of heads around uh, about, around my queerness. So, but but I think that. Uh, like like it is the case with so many queer people, I think that community is where you sort of, you know, you mark your growth based off of how you're healing in community. And so I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. And I think it, and what you said is really key. It's like, it's different religions, different intersections. And it's really funny because I know with Hinduism, like Vishnu and Shiva, there's a lot of trans representation in that religion and even in the community. And obviously colonialism kind of changed the game with that. Mm -hmm. Did you have anyone from your Hindu community being like, this is fine and this is accepted? Or again, were you kind of on an island about it? Yeah, nobody was. Um, Mm -hmm. Nobody was, but... I had people who were within my same age range who were who who accepted me for who I was, because okay. um, they liked me. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Um, You're very likable, honey. I, I get it. <laughs> uh-huh. As are you, honey. <laughs> yeah, I think it. You know what? With that, so kind of being on an island like that. What is your advice to people who are kind of you know, for lack of a better word, in a transition? I know that. A lot of times when you do come out, especially to an immigrant family, there's a lot of like, well, I hope you're not trans. I hope you're not going to dress like a drag queen. I hope you're not going to wear a wig. And people mm-hmm. start having these kind of ultimatums. Um, how did you, like, when, at what age did you realize? Because I know for certain people, I have a lot of friends who are trans. They, they realized when they were like very young, mm-hmm. uh, but kind of didn't know how to grapple with that concept. Do you have an early memory of like feeling just kind of like, I don't feel comfortable in this body? Yeah, it was more about like, I just saw myself as a boy. It was never like fresh out the womb as far as I could remember. I was just like, I'm a boy, you know? Um, and so, you know, and, and, and thankfully my parents didn't actually clock that this could be an issue farther down the line because they let me look like a boy. Like people used to come up to my parents and be like, what a cute son you have. And they wouldn't say shit. They'd be like, okay, yeah, let's keep it moving. We need to get something from Kmart. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> and, and so they didn't even clock that it was something that they should be concerned about. But right. um, so that's my earliest point of understanding my gender identity was that I just didn't feel like, what they wanted me to be. And then when I realized that that was actually something wrong, me behaving and looking like a boy, then I was like, oh shit, like before anybody else sniffs me out, I have to like have a plan to like either run away or, um, or like, then I have to start dressing like a girl. And I ran away and they found me. And so then that summer I just transitioned into being a girl. And um, yeah, that's how I, that's how that's how it was for me, but um, but th- you know, to your question about like, what do you say to people who are in some sort of transition or mm-hmm. they're transitioning genders? I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, coming out is already like a big deal in so many mm-hmm. different families that I'm kind of like, you know, if I could just say one thing for people to hold on to, because like in certain cases it does get better. In some cases, like, let's be real. It doesn't, you know, and then that's, then, Absolutely. then that's what you yeah. have to like sort of grapple with and say, like, do I have the energy to um, constantly uh, engage with this toxicity, you know? But, um, right. but, but the part that I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, 
as I'm older now, and I think about the same folks who gave me heat or passed judgment or whatever, like the uncles and aunties, this and other, like family members, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that when you really look at their lives now, they're all struggling with their own secrets. And some of them are far, far, far more heavy than queerness could be. Do you know what I'm saying? Like queerness is not heavy. It's just like everybody's a little gay. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, <laughs> but it's like yo, why, why, why are you like, why are you holding this heavy secret? Like it doesn't have to be like that. Like come over and just, even if you're not queer, come and kick it with queer people and realize like your shit is okay. Like, you know, I think that we can all learn from people who have been living their lives on the margin um, and are surviving and thriving. And I just, I pray for the same, I pray for the haters because I know ultimately they're just holding on to deeper, darker secrets and, and these secrets will eat them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, you know, I tell a lot of people, it's really funny. Um, I tell a lot of people, like, especially when it comes to secrets, it's not just being queer or just coming out. Like there, there you could have so many secrets. And I know a lot of immigrant families, if you lose your job, mm-hmm. like people will hide that like six months might, you know, I had lost my job and didn't tell my dad. Yeah. Like for some people listening, they might be like, just tell them you lost your job. It's not like you wanted to get fired, but they don't understand that your identity gets tied to that. And, you know, there, I think everyone comes out. They just don't, they think that coming out is only for queer yeah. people, but you know, it could be anything. It could be divorced in a you know yep. South Asian community that's very frowned yep. upon. Yep. So it could be really anything. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing the Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered chumpacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, as far as like, you know, working in Hollywood, obviously, you know, with your one man show, such a success and, you know, working in those spaces, obviously with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, trans visibility and, you know, Laverne Cox is killing it. And there's just, I could list so many amazing people that really wouldn't have gotten a chance, like Trace Lissette and, you know, the shows like Transparent and, and Pose. There's so much trans visibility now. Do you find it like easier to get auditions or to get work or is it still hard also being like brown and you know trans like do you think that yeah you know I don't know what it is I feel like it's still hard for me to get auditions you know what I'm saying but I also don't have an agent and um which is why I've kind of been like well maybe I should just kind of lean into learning more about writing and uh, like from a writer creative standpoint rather than like just acting and 
you know, I've been doing theater for so long, but like, I think that sometimes when I know that there's a lot riding on an audition, because it's been like one audition after so long of not having any, that I, mm. I end up placing so much immense pressure on my shoulders that I end up fucking up the audition. And, yep. and it's so weird because for somebody like me who has been acting for 20 years now, you know what I'm saying? In the theater and, you know, doing like touring and literally performing like more than I'm actually uh, in one, one city for, for, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm on the road more than I am just living in my own place. That, that kind of, um, I, I would say that like, it feels like I, you know, it's, it's been harder for me. And I think that there's also the fact that, um, you know, while, while, um, if we're looking at people of color, while there might be a lot of black and Latinx um, issues that need to be really tackled, black, indigenous, and Latinx issues that need to be tackled, when you look at South Asians in Hollywood, it's sort of like a little bit of the flip because you don't see a whole lot of South Asians. And if you do, you see them of a particular narrative. And I think that South Asian stories are like, like everybody, everybody's cultural stories at the intersections of like race, class, gender, sexuality, all of that. Like they're so rich. And I still have yet to see a South Asian story that is, that is rich, you know, and that is um, sort of a, a little bit more mainstream. So, so I feel like it might be because of the South Asian stuff, but it also might be because of the trans stuff. And it also might be the fact that like, I don't have an agent right now. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. I have, I have somebody who works as my, as a manager who sends me auditions, but, right. but they don't like, I, I know I have other trans actor friends and what they, what they tell me is that I think we're all at the same sort of level and we're all getting the same auditions and they're not that many. Absolutely. And, you know, with shows like Never Have I Ever and Pose, I mean, we're getting more visibility and, you know, Family Karma that was on Bravo, Mm -hmm. all, you know, Indian Americans. I think it's, there is a tide that's happening. And I know the Brown community, again, this is the cisgendered kind of straight Brown community. I know a lot of those actors kind of help each other. Um, But I just, you know, and I know that a lot of trans actors also support each Mm -hmm. other. But I think what's important is that the, the, community is great, but the industry needs to meet up. You know, the, the fact that you've done a one, a one man show that was so successful and an agent didn't scoop you up. Like I'm kind of like, if you were white, that would have definitely mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, and those are the moments where a lot of people say that I call racism a lot, but I'm like, but that's, that's so obvious. Yeah. Like, I don't know how <laughs> you can't see it any other way. Cause I remember like that show was so hard for me to get a ticket to because it was so booked. Yeah. Like it was probably the most successful show the LGBT center has done with a, like with someone that isn't like mm-hmm. a Lily Tom mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean? Like a list. I mean, but like, but that's crazy. Like that to me is so obvious. So how do you um, not get discouraged? Cause I know for me, even, you know, I look at my peers who are white and cisgendered and we kind of started at the same time and they're like on E news and they are like leaps and bounds ahead of me. And I can't help, but, but think if we have the same talent, how come you're yeah. there and I'm here? You know, yeah, I think that I think that the other part about it is, Amir, like you're not going to be, um, you're not going to 
be going through these doors softly. Every time you try no. and go through the door softly, like you probably get hit harder on the ass on your way out, you know? <laughs> and, and that, Absolutely. and like, I think that it's great because it's, it, it puts you apart from like other people. And I think that one of the things, and we had talked about this before is that it's very hard not to get jaded and to not get sad and, and hurt by the sort of inequalities and whatnot. But I also think that, you know, when we align ourselves together and we sort of go, okay, you know, there's, you know, in, in the larger world, um, we do need to be centering black voices and, and, um, and the liberation for black folks. And then, and then also like, be in conversation with ourselves around like, what does it mean to want to be centered in this moment? Because mm-hmm. there's our own communities don't have enough representation. And then working, working with both of those sort of tasks at hand in our heart as we move forward with everything that we do. So for instance, like you, you're not going to get every single, like you're not going to get the opportunities that a, that a white cis gay person is going to get. No. You absolutely. And you might not be floating in the same circles because, you know, as we all know, like people get comfortable with their own kind. But yes, but but what it is that when you're when when the the opportunities do come knocking on your door, they they are Mm -hmm. specifically for you because of what you Mm -hmm. have to offer. And I think that that's something that I haven't come. I talk to a lot of my artist friends about is like. What do we need to do to be more authentic and real? Because this is this is a radical moment right now. It's a beautiful moment, and I mean, it's a scary moment in a lot of different ways because a lot of a lot of people are going out their goddamn minds. But in a yeah. lot of other ways, outside of that bigotry and racism, this is also a beautiful, powerful moment for us to sort of be like, well, what are my values, and what do I pride myself in being, and like I can't get mad at myself for being a social justice aligned artist. Like I can't, I like, I can't be like, Oh shit, I could, I should just like tone down or quiet down. Like that's never going to happen. You know what I'm saying? So like, I have to just be able to embrace that and be like, this is what I have to offer. Not, I mean, not that I've ever had a problem with me being a a social justice aligned artist, but like, you know, sometimes it's like, Oh, you know, understanding where it is that what it is that you might need to do in order to get the check or the opportunity, but always staying true to your, to your core, you know, because that's ultimately, I think that people without knowing are craving authenticity. You know what I'm saying? People, they're like, Oh, I like this person. It's like, well, why do you like them? They're authentic. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and they want, and not just authentic, like, I think that there's a desire for people to be nuanced and layered and complex in their um, in their politics, their 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 understanding of the world. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's it, it's so again, like you said, it's very nuanced, it's very intentional, and it's very also understanding that a lot of diversity we focus on is on camera, and there's none off camera. Mm-hmm. And I think that those people are the gatekeepers of our stories. And I think it's taking control of your narrative. And that's what I love about what you did. And it's like, for me, it was the same. Like, you know, I was like, okay, you're not going to give me a job that I'm going to make my own digital talk show and talk to all the people I want to talk to. 
and, and I'm going to create my space. And I think you did that, which is super inspiring, especially for a lot of people. If you look at the Mindy Kalings and the Issa Rays and the Ava DuVernay's of the world, they weren't giving those opportunities. Right. So they made mm-hmm. them, you know, and that's super inspiring because let's be honest, it took Hollywood 300 years or like hundreds of years of racism and not even letting Matt, you know, Hattie McDaniels into the Oscars when she won to now finally put Eva DuVernay and Whoopi Goldberg on a diversity mm-hmm. panel just this mm-hmm. year. So I think that the industry is slowly catching up. Um, and I think that it's, you know, I hope that, you know, voices like yours will be, you know, illuminated and highlighted because it, it's much needed. Yeah. And yours too. Yeah. Well, that's Absolutely. what I want for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I think it's, I think it's important that, you know, we're heard and our stories are told according to our pens and not some white cisgendered man who got a job because his dad's a producer. That's not who I want to tell my story, you know? Um, And so I think that having these conversations is important. I wanted to ask you, you know, kind of on a more lighter note, how does it feel kind of, I mean, it's not very light, I guess, but it's like navigating, you know, dating in, in, in LA, like how has that experience been for you? Because I think a lot of, you know, people are so focused when it comes to trans people on their bodies and all of that. And they kind of lose sight of the fact that trans people are looking for love and relationships. And, you know, there's like, even being Middle Eastern and, you know, queer, I get fetishized Mm -hmm. a lot. I know there's a lot of fetishization of, um, you know, trans bodies. What what has been your experience with dating? Like, how have you now? I feel that? like I got fetishized more as a gender non-conforming person who, like, off the stage than I did, as, than I do now. And it could also be in part to the fact that, like, my energy has shifted because I am, you know, like, when you've been, I've been in my relationship with my partner for 10 years, and right. it just changes the way that you relate to other people. Like, I'm just kind of, you know, of course there are beautiful people everywhere, but like my, my energy is going to be different towards everybody. You know what I'm saying? Um, the, and, and because I'm in a, in a monogamous relationship. So, so right. the, so the, I feel like trans people are fetishized and especially trans women, you know, trans feminine folks, mm. but in regards to my dating, like, I feel like um, I ended up accidentally and also with my own fair share of curiosity, sort of um, dating people who were far more curious about me and also thought like, oh, this was their experiment. You know what I'm saying? And so that has been you know, something, I think that a lot of people, a lot of queer people of color have to deal with that, whether that's around ethnicity or whether that's around your gender presentation or whatever. Right. But, um, but, and, and I, and I wish, I just wish that there was a way that you, somebody could create an app where you could just be like, look, I'm just looking for love. I'm looking for whether that's with one person or more than one person, I'm just looking for a beautiful sort of commitment to have, to, to, to be with, uh, to be in with someone or someone's and, um, and, and there's not that. And I know, I know it's like, to me, in, in my opinion, I feel like it's worse with gay men. You know what I'm saying? Like the amount of racism and 
like internalized homophobia and all of that, like and the fetishization, like I just feel like it's it's so toxic in some that I'm kind of like whenever whenever I feel like I have all my gay male friends who talk to me about their partnerships, they're just like like some of them were had been together from even before the apps and they're just like, thank God, you know? And then, <laughs> and then the ones who have found each other out, outside of the apps now are like, I can't believe I found somebody during this time. You know, like it's, it's, I just feel like it's so shitty. I've been on my homies, tinders and grinders and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, I mean, like if you're, I mean, if people are, trying to fuck like i get it like fuck like do what you need to do you know what i'm saying but like but don't make people feel bad to do that like i think it's it's a matter of like i don't if you never want to sleep with a black man or a persian man or someone that's hairy that's fine but don't write no black exactly i don't have to see it and i've had these conversations you know i've been called the sand n-word which is Mm -hmm. like a middle eastern Mm -hmm. slur which is, it's like, I've been called terrorists or people have said, oh, you know, can you tell, like, you know, when we're having sex, can you role play and call me, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, say you're going to blow me up or something. I mean, it ju- I just heard it all. And I think that the reason I talk about it is because most white cisgendered gay friends or people that I've known are like, no, that doesn't happen. I'm like, because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean it doesn't happen yeah. to other yeah. people. And I think that that's why it's important to illuminate it. And I know that... And, you know, Grindr understands that. They're doing their work. They're, like, mm-hmm. trying. But, you know, you can't control it. Unfortunately, as we know right now, even with the pandemic, there's a lot of assholes. Yeah. A lot of people that don't want to wear masks. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are saying, you know, our lives matter in Texas. I mean, it's it's just a crapshoot mm-hmm. right now. Um, so we just have to be authentic to what speaks to us. And for me, it was to no longer go to gay bars, is no longer to be on Grindr, is no longer to date. Um, that's where I'm happy. And, and if someone comes along who's fabulous, I'm open to it. But I'm not actively going to look for a relationship because I'm, I just, I'm, whether or not I'm too sensitive, that doesn't matter. That's where yeah. I'm at. You know, and I think there's an idea with gay men specifically where we have to have sex at all times to survive. And that's just not everyone's, you know, experience. So I think it's, you know, important to have these conversations and to move forward. I wanted to ask you about moments like, you know, being an activist and being a trans person. And I've experienced this too. Do you ever get burnout about talking about it, about discussing it, about answering questions? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But I think that there's potential for burnout on any sort of tip. Like even if you're like the type of person who is out there in the streets marching, you're going to get burnt out. Even if it's like you're, you have to talk to every single person about like this latest thing. I am an advocate for snacks and naps because, (laughs) you know, I, I, a lot of my mentors burned out and, and they didn't know how to take care of themselves. They they were suffering some, from some sort of physical illness at some point. So, um, or, or still are. And so I think that, what I've been doing is kind of learning in a, in a backwards way based off of what my mentors didn't tell me, but what I saw and trying to um, advocate for both my own, the, the collective that I work with, the artist collective that I work with and just other folks who I'm in community uh, with to just kind of like go, okay, at one point, does it just feel exhausting to exist 
Like you want to mm-hmm. catch it before that. Like if you catch it after that, like that's fine. Like if that's where you're starting, <laughs> like like catch yourself mm-hmm. right when you're feeling exhausted and you can't do no more and be like, okay, everything's going to be on hold and, and the world can wait and I'm going to go and take a couple days of rest and relaxation to rejuvenate and to recalibrate really, right? And to take that mm-hmm. time to think. But I think that what the point is for us to do is to like kind of catch it beforehand or build in to our to our weeks, like moments of rest. Like for this month, I know that I will not get to rest that much because I'm on like a hundred deadlines this month. But I do know that I can go, okay, you know what? On Sunday, I'm going to cancel everything and I'm just going to relax. You know what I'm saying? And even if I do get a little, even if I do have to do a little bit of work because I'm behind or whatever, at least I know that I didn't schedule anything else. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's being conscious of what your needs are. And I, I remember I went to a um, panel that Patricia Colors did, who Patrice Colors, who started Black Lives Matter. And she said, sometimes I'm marching and sometimes I'm getting my hair done and listening to mm-hmm. Mariah Carey. So I think it's having that yeah. balance. Um, I think there's this idea in the U.S. especially where we have to run and work and hustle until we just die at our desks. And I don't like really yeah. like that perspective of living. I think it's, and I think the quarantine has slowed everyone down um, to an amazing pace. And I, you know, just to wrap up, I wanted to ask you, um, how has quarantine affected your creativity? Like, have you been writing or creating? Like, how is this yeah, time? That's a great question. How- In the beginning yeah. of the pandemic, honestly, I was just trying not to lose my mind. Um, <laughs> then at some point, the collective that I was working with, um, that I still work with, I have a, a collective of queer South Asian artists who I've been working with. And I told you about them, right, Amir? And, um, and so yeah. we've been continuing working and we were, we were working on a lot of more political work. And then at some point with the quarantine, we started hosting a space for people to just kind of come in and come into the Zoom room and talk about what art they wanted to continue doing and create and et cetera, et cetera. And then with everything with Ahmed Aubrey and um, George Floyd and that other, the, that lady in the park with the dog um, against the Cooper, uh, the, the brother with the last name Cooper, and all of that shit happened. And then we created the space that was like, okay, we are going to host a South Asian artist for Black Lives. And so that has kept going and it's going beautifully. And we are trying to figure out ways to create, not ways to create, but what art we can create that addresses anti-Black racism in our communities. So that's kind of been what's happening there. Then I got this uh, on, on the on the slash career or, or community slash career side, um, I was I got awarded an Artist Disruptor Fellowship through the Center for Cultural P- Power and um, Joey Soloway's 50-50 by 2020 initiative. And so that is a lot of the dead, that That's like what my July deadlines are about. In addition to, I have two other deadlines for other gigs that I, I, I signed on to from before. So, so it's, it feels like I'm working a lot and like I'm thankful for the fact that I'm getting this is paid work you know what I'm saying oh we love paid work work. but right now as I'm talking to you I'm like you know 
this, the, the, the pace at which I was going prior, which felt a little bit more manageable is not the pace that I'm working at right now. Like I feel like I'm almost back to going full steam ahead. And I think that that is problematic. You know what I'm saying? So I'm almost grateful for the fact that we're quarantining because otherwise I probably, you know, like I think that all of us were getting caught caught up with our busyness, thinking that productivity was paramount. You get what I'm saying? And I'm like, well, it's, the idea is like if we don't work, someone else, i.e., a white person, is going to yeah, take our opportunity. Like, I mean, but it's always that, right? And it's sort of like, but when do we actually prioritize ourselves? When do we actually prioritize? Like, it doesn't matter if somebody gets this opportunity. No matter how much I work, by the time I get an opportunity, I'm just going to be broken and jaded that I won't be even able to do my job well. Do you get what I'm saying? And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We are light, beautiful motherfuckers. Like, we don't need to be doing that shit to ourselves. You get what I'm saying? So, totally. I mean, totally. I've taken jobs where I I should have been happy about it, but I was so fucking stressed that I couldn't even think about the joy around it. I just celebrated it when it mm. came out. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, that's not the way I want to fucking live. Mm-mm. It's not the right way to live. And I think for the cheap seats in the back, I want to repeat it. When you get an opportunity, you can't even do your job because you're so jaded and upset. We want these opportunities and we we work ourselves into the ground and, you know, deal up so right. And then once you get it, you can't even do your job right, nor can you even yeah. enjoy the success because you're so wrapped up or, in your or BS. Or like the work is supposed uh, to be joyful too. Like I know that you know, you're like, you probably, and cause I do this too. It's like, okay, well, I want to, I want to do something because I, I want to stay working because at least this gives me some anchor and grounding and like that. I'm just doing what I can personally do during this moment. But then it's sort exactly. of like, if opportunities come that, that like, I, at some point in my career, I forgot that if somebody asked me to come do a job for them, that I would have to erase who I was because I, I needed to do this job in a particular way. And the truth of the matter is every job that especially you and I get called to do, they are asking for us to come to the room fully ourselves, right? So, mm-hmm. so and, and even if they thought they knew and they're not okay with it, that's, that's almost like what our ancestors are asking us to do is just to come into the room fully ourselves. And what that means to me personally is coming into that room with a fuck ton of joy. Not even the enjoyment of having gotten the job, but just a fuck ton of joy doing a damn job or doing something. You get what I'm saying? Like, like just to be able to do what we do shouldn't be so burdensome. And I think that sometimes when you're chasing paper, it inevitably looks like it's just a grind. And we wouldn't have gotten into this field if we weren't trying to have like live in our joy you know what i'm saying absolutely and i think living in that joy is what will propel us to the next level i think that and i think it's remembering that and remembering why like you said our ancestors did what they did and you know why marsha p johnson you know and sylvia rivera went to stonewall and you know went against police brutality like there's a reason they did all that for us and we shouldn't be like again kind of chained to our jobs and chained to our identities as the only worth we have. You know, I've even stopped kind of saying I'm a queer Muslim over and over again, because I feel like 
white producers love to bastardize that word and they, they salivate at the torture porn that is my life. And I just, it's like, I want to talk about positivity because our identities are important to us, but Delo is more than just their identity. And Amir is more mm-hmm. than just his identity. So I think it's, it's reimagining that, which is super powerful. I could talk to you all day, <laughs> as you know, but I will let you go. But please um, tell us how people can follow you and kind of stay in touch with you yes. for your journey. My handle you. for literally everything is DLocoKid. That's D-L-O-C-O-K-I-D. And you, that's my website, Instagram, YouTube, this, that, and other. It's everything. So, yes, uh, I loved being on the show with you, Amir. I love talking to you in general, too. So it was always going to be a win-win situation. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I feel the same way. (laughs) I really do. I I think it's, you know, the way you take up space is so, it's like so effortless, but I I know with everything, like even ballet, it looks effortless, but I know how much work goes into being very effortlessly yourself. So Ah, I applaud you. Thank you. Right back at you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here for the take on for the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm Amir Yasai, and you can follow me at Amir Yas Official on Instagram and TikTok and on Twitter. It's Amir Yas underscore. I love you all and be good to yourselves. I know it's a trying time, but we'll be here every week, every Tuesday, dropping a new episode for the take on. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and The Take On at bpn.fm backslash The Take On. And of course, on my Instagram at Amir Yas Official. Yes, honey, we're official. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.